Libros Schmibros is a podcast exploring the people, books, movies, and ideas that Angelinos care about in a thoughtful way that even New Yorkers can understand. We're coming to you from Libros Schmibros, our nonprofit bilingual lending library in Boyle Heights, on the west coast of the country and the east bank of the mighty Los Angeles River. Cool. All right. So the recording is on? Great. All right, cool. So let me just uh, introduce myself. I'm Cotamo Hernandez. Uh, from Libro Schmibros is the Libro Schmibros podcast. And uh, so for today's guest, we have uh, author of Compton Cowboys. It's the, this month's selection of the, of the LA Times Book Club. Uh, so Walter Hernandez, uh, thanks for, for agreeing to doing this interview. Um, how are you, man? How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm here uh, calling from um, Huntington Park. Um, like represent bro represent yeah for real um I'm, I'm at Tia's house i actually just moved out to lincoln heights but i'm, I'm back here for um like to say hi to my Tia and stuff you know tight man yeah i was mentioning earlier i'm from huntington park too i just moved out also to east la so we're kind of wow we're all just moving out huh? yeah, we're, just... <laughs> <laughs> we're like all right we're good <laughs> no but you know it's uh, dope i mean i, I want to keep talking about hp because you know like that's yeah. It's not really uh, on, on a lot of people's radar, you know, and it's like, it's, it's also yeah. like a place that has, you know, some cultural ferment happening, you know, and I feel yeah. like, yeah, a lot of artists, a lot of, you know, a lot of organizations, collectives are coming out of there. Uh, so yeah, shout outs, you know, to a couple of places. We, we were talking about Cusitas earlier, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so I think, yeah, like places like that do kind of like, you know, influence like what, what kind of conversations people are having. So um, yeah, so in the book, uh, Compton Cowboys, uh, it just came out, uh, you start off kind of introducing, um, yourself and your family, uh, from Southeast LA and, and you talk about how you would pass Alameda and into, into Watts and then in Compton. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that relationship with Huntington Park and then, uh, South Central and Compton and. Yeah, 100%, you know, I think like that's a really important point to make, right? Because I think like historically, you know, conversations about, I think about race and, and identity in LA, like are usually tied to like South Central or East LA, right? Or Boyle Heights. And I feel like, you know, uh, like Southeast LA has never really gotten the attention or, or even like, you know, recognition that, that I think it, it deserves, you know, just, you know, cities like Huntington Park, like Maywood, Bell, Southgate, Downey, Cudahy, you know, like these are cities that, that, are, that are, I think, so fundamental to like the LA experience, but like, I think only recently have only been part of conversations about like race, about like community and about identity. So, so yeah, so for me growing up in Huntington Park, you know, like this is a community that, that historically was like a white community, you know, like most of Southeast LA was, was, was really full of white folks, you know, who like worked in these like, you know, factory plants, you know, uh, Goodyear tire plants and, and, and other sort of factories who, who eventually like started to move out when like brown folks started to move in essentially, right? Um, but when I was growing up, you know, there was a sort of like racial divide, right? Like Alameda Street really divided like, you know, like black South Central and like very sort of like brown, mestizo Southeast LA, right? And, and so for me, like, you know, growing up as, as a son of a black father, Mexican mother, you know, like, I was always just like really excited to like cross Alameda Street, you know, because like I didn't really see see black folks in in in, in this neighborhood in Huntington Park. Um, but it was interesting, right? Because like there was like such a stark racial divide, um, you know. And it's something I experienced as a child. Like I I opened up the book by 
by sort of writing about that experience, right? About like the first time I saw black men on horses, first time I saw black cowboys and sort of like what that meant for someone who was like, you know, the son of a black father, but didn't have black folks around. And how like on one hand, like that was a really sort of trans transformative moment because like it helped me sort of like, you know, think about my own blackness, right? But also really challenged my ideas about cowboy culture, right? And, and sort of like created like really um, a narrative of questioning, you know, what I was learning in schools, you know, cause like most of us who grew up in Southeast LA, right? And all of LA, I think, you know, didn't have, you know, history courses or like social studies classes that like told us about the experiences of black cowboys. So I think it was a really powerful experience. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed reading that, especially cause you, you feel that like, it's really tangible. Like that cross that, that border, you know, Alameda street, like, it's historically, like you say, like, uh, you know, like Southgate, you know, there used to be like white, white gangs that used to cross Alameda right. that terrorize, you know, like black kids in Watts. And, right. you, know, there, you know, there's like a, a really deep history about, you know, how like, you know, groups started to form to kind of protect themselves against these like white, you know, terrorists pretty much 100%. in that area. So it's, it's interesting that to kind of read it now, like in, in this context of how you, you're kind of crossing that, um, that boundary. Right. And, um, you know, it's almost like you're, uh, you're kind of forming like a bridge and it's, you know, it's cause it's an, it's, it's an open wound really like the Alameda, like in more, in more ways than one, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it, it kind of like, you could see it for like from satellites, like this. Yeah. It's uh, huge. Yeah, that's like the main thoroughfare yeah. for like and and and, and you know it's, it's crazy because like I think even historically right like there's something about train tracks right that like mm. not even just LA but throughout the South and places I think throughout the U.S. like for some reason train tracks have already have always sort of like created like both a natural geographic divide but also like like a cultural racial divide right and so like Alameda you know rightfully so like has these like train tracks right that pass like on alameda street and like these like trains like and these tracks like act as as walls and and mm -hmm. and you know not as bridges like they were for me but like as walls essentially you know and, and is this something about train tracks like I, you know i gotta read more about it but it's, it's it's interesting right how like train tracks always seem to be like the dividing factor yeah, I mean that that's like the phrase, right? Like the, the other side of the tracks is usually like the Always, connotation yeah. is like yeah, like there's something on the other side that's kind of like yeah, unknown sure. and, and like so yeah, like that was like personally like I I saw like the way I was reading your book like like almost like in like if I was reading a map and mm. it was like a like a personal map too because you know like you know growing up and and going on the other side of Alameda it's like you know it you can sense like it's there is like a separation and it's you know it's not by accident you know that's the way that you know like like you mentioned Huntington Park was white yeah it was like uh Mike Davis book and the city of course he actually talks about how um Huntington Park had the first uh like all white um homeowners association that you know like explicitly excluded you know, black and brown people from, from living there. And, you know, and it's a trip now, right? Like, like you think about <laughs> HP Hunter Park, like you think about Pacific and like HP is hood, you know, like HP is like, it, it, it's like very like, like brown, you know, like Mexican, now Central American too. Like it, it's like a, a, a very sort of like, you know, you would never imagine, right. That like 
this place really like once explicitly really tried to exclude like non-white folks from like living here you know it, it's, it's really a trip man yeah it's crazy man cool yeah. so um so the the story in the book it, it centers um, a group of friends who are really it's it's like a coming of age story right they're um they're fighting to establish themselves as as leaders in their own community uh by forming compton cowboys so they're um it, they, they're kind of stemming from another youth organization that you write about, the, the Compton Junior Posse, founded by Maisha Akbar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, she kind of started that to offer an alternative to, to street violence. Um, so it, it's really interesting reading about those struggles because it, it's like, uh, you know, like they're all dealing with their personal issues. And, and the way you structure that, it's like a vignettes of, you know, different characters. You know, the, there's the, the 10 writers. Um, and they're all, you know, struggling, you know, with, uh, you know, some of them are, their rent is increasing, increasing. So they're, you know, they're getting uh, displaced from like Inglewood and, uh, you know, they're dealing with issues, you know, they have, uh, you know, some of them are single parents. Uh, so it's like, it's really raw, you know, there's a lot of personal challenges, but then also challenges to establishing the, the group and, and maintaining the farm because it, it's kind of like, uh, like, uh, Maisha is, is stepping down and and randy her her nephew right he's he's kind of stepping up as that with that leadership role but uh you know there's a lot of expenses and a lot of um you know a lot of other um challenges so so what are some of those obstacles that they they had to overcome that you feel like was yeah was necessary for them to perform yeah i mean like you said right like it's already really challenging to like maintain and operate a horse ranch you know in the heart of compton you know in terms of like expenses like takes about like twenty thousand dollars a month to keep this ranch running you know and like that's mostly guided by donations you know by like some grants and and really just you know like trying to find the money every 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 month like sometimes that means selling horses you know sometimes it means like furloughing some of the ranch employees right so on its own that's already really challenging for anybody right but I think you add the sort of layers of like what it means to be a black man and woman in Compton. And then, you know, it, it sort of becomes a sort of like cacophony and this like really sort of like system, this interweaving system of challenges where it's like, yes, there's like structural racism, right? Which, which already, you know, like impacts folks' lives in so many different ways in terms of like resources and, and things like that. But there's also like, you know, challenges with, with like addiction, right? And, and, and challenges with like, you know, being a single mother right now for, for, for Kiera, right? Who's a, who's a, who's the only woman in the group. And she sort of has this like really beautiful sort of like, you know, rodeo dream, but she's also faced with the reality that, you know, she's overcome addiction herself. She has a young daughter named Taylor who's two years old. She's also a sort of like, you know, third generation of, of writers in her family. So she has these dreams. And I think like, you know, I really try to sort of like, like, include these different narratives but i really wanted the ranch to like sort of be like a central protagonist right because like the ranch to me is really like the heart of of these sort of like interweaving arteries you know everything goes through the ranch you know everything goes through there and and everything comes out of there and so for me it's like if i center the ranch you know and if i sort of like create the narrative arc where i'm thinking about like a year and a half spent with these cowboys and like really thinking about the fate of the ranch, right? And, you know, sort of thinking about if, if the ranch goes, 
you know, sort of like falls under, then I think, you know, unfortunately, maybe like their friendships fall under and go. And by extension, because like there are ripple effects, right? Then potentially people in their families or community goes. Cause like the ranch to me is more than like a place where like people go to like saddle up and ride horses, you know? It's actually like a therapy center, you know, in, in so many different ways. So I think like in terms of like tension and conflict, like that was like a central guiding force, right? That were that people, cowboys were like going to the ranch, not just to ride horses, but also to heal. Cause like equine therapy, you know, studies have proven, you know, has like incredible benefits for PTSD, for, for trauma, for anxiety, for, for depression. And every cowboy ha- has been going to the ranch essentially for that. So I think, you know, like I really tried to, to paint a picture where like we're understanding the narrative arc of each cowboy's life um, told to the narrative arc of the ranch. Yeah, and that, that you could really see that in the story, especially what you mentioned with like PTSD and how, yeah, yeah. like, you know, the therapy that, that they go through with that. Uh, so you also start off the book with, uh, with the 65th annual uh, Compton Christmas Parade. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of like a, a way for them to present themselves. Uh, it's, like, right. it's kind of like their coming out party, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's interesting how you, how you frame that because you talk about uh, Aja Brown, who's you know, one of the youngest mayors in Compton history, um, you know, the second um, black mayor in Compton, uh, second uh, black woman mayor in Compton. Um, so it's kind of like there is like a resurgence of hope that is coming up. You know, this is paralleled with, you know, Kendrick Lamar. Also, he, he's like right. the, the grand marshal of the of the parade. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, did, what did it mean for the Cowboys to participate in, in this parade? And why and why was that one of the, the central stories you chose to to start That's- off with? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I was kind of conflicted, right? Because I feel like on, on, on some level, maybe this Compton Christmas Parade is like, you know, the sort of climax of, of, of the story, you know, in so many different ways. Like, it feels sort of like celebratory, you know, it feels like it's just sort of like this watershed moment in, 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 in the book's arc, right? But, but I think for me, like, presenting the stakes that early and like what it means to ride and also what it means for the city, you know, for me, it was like giving the city of Compton like a different perspective, you know, like one that was, I think, devoid of this sort of like, you know, either Compton is doing really great, it has programs that, you know, and, and a new mayor, or it's like, you know, on the verge of like collapse and like gangs of violence. So I feel like the parade kind of like set up the stakes for the book and also kind of like introduce like the history of Compton and, you know, like, what cowboys mean for Compton and sort of like what horses mean for the cowboys in like a a kind of organic way right so I felt like the parade was also really important because it was the first time in about 15 years where like all the the cowboys rode together right and so for me like I was like you know what if I introduce this early on this potentially like you know allows us to to kind of foresee what what's to come right so I feel like it was a really important moment you know like both both for the Cowboys and for the city, because like, you know, it's one of the only times in the city when like everyone comes together, and and I kind of wanted to like establish that early on. Yeah, and recently, a, a couple of weeks ago, um, the Compton Cowboys led a, a protest, uh, a peaceful protest through the streets uh, over the death of George Floyd, um, and uh, they 
yeah, they, they got, they were marching with, uh, with mayor Aja Brown again. Um, so it's, it's an interesting, you know, like kind of like, uh, like how it all has coalesced to this point, um, how they're kind of like really like figureheads now in Compton, you know, cause that was, you know, it got major coverage. You wrote about it in the New York times a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so it, it, and, and you referenced it in the book a couple of times. So I wanted to, to ask, uh, how, how did them being part of this subculture or how does being part of subculture help save black lives? Yeah. You, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. It's, it's like really, I think it's timely. Right. And, and, and I think it's really unfortunate that this book is timely right now. Right. Like I think the death of George Floyd was like, to me, like such a, a sort of like recent watershed moment, you know, in, in all of our lives. Right. Where it's like, that was kind of the last straw in so many different levels. But like, you know, I started writing about this like almost two years ago, you know, two and a half years ago, you know, this story about the Compton Cowboys, right? Like, you know, they ride for love and, and to preserve tradition, right? And because there's this like huge sort of like horse passion, right? Passion for horses. But also like ultimately, if I'm being honest, like riding horses around Compton gives them like an escape and also a sense of protection and even armor from like local police but like rival gangs right because like you see these black men and women on foot or, or 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 in a car and you know there's assumptions that are made right especially by the police like p- police violence and Compton is a real thing um but like in my experiences with them like both in those situations and you know sort of like shadowing them on around their horses like it's almost night and day right so it's like to me it was both beautiful, you know, that these horses can provide, you know, safety and, and essentially act as a shield against police violence, right? But it's also tragic, right? Like, it's tragic that, like, these Black folks, like, have to find, have to continue to find creative ways to survive. And for this group of friends in Compton, like, it happens to be through horses. Yeah, I mean, that, that's heavy, because, yeah, you talk about how this is, you know, happening within this moment, this political moment. And, and you talk about how you write about how Randy is pretty, you know, he's pretty aware about, you know, the significance of the moment. And, um, and he, it's, he talks about how the, yeah, but how being a, a, a black cowboy in, in this, in this moment, like, uh, it, 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 it feels like it's, it's heavy, you know, for, for them, but, but they're willing to, you know, to like meet the occasion by, you know, addressing it head on and, and being vocal leaders in, in Compton about, you know, about these issues. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. Um, you, you, in the article that you originally wrote about this, you quote, uh, Th- Thabisili Griffin, a, a doctoral candidate of history in the university. Yeah. Uh, UCLA um, and I really like a, a sentence that that she writes uh, or that you, that you wrote about her it's saying story of black people's ability to survive and create alternate worlds in the face of neglect um, and yeah she talks about the you know the subcultures that offer a form of resistance right um, yeah I mean that like throughout the whole book like that you know like there there's references to that you know like yeah um and 
something else that you're constantly referencing in the book is uh, talk about Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of parallels between your book and, you know, Good Kid, Mad City. Right. Even as far as, you know, the titles of the tracks to, to you know, like some of the chap- the names of the chapters, yeah. you know, like the, the art of peer pressure, you <laughs> yeah. know, Good Kid, Swimming Pools, and then, you know, Keisha's song, you, you know, you, you, you make, you know, you change it from Kira's song. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, so, you know, so like, can you talk a little bit about that? Like that, you know, that influence, how yeah. Kendrick kind of uh, was an influence on the book and on the Cowboys too, right? And, and on my life too, 100%. But I think like, you know, if I'm being honest, man, I feel like Kendrick is like my favorite writer of all time, right? Like, and, and I use the word writer like purposely, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think for a lot of us, right, who like grew up in the early 90s, you know, like hip hop and rap was my introduction 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 to like writing right and 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 to storytelling and you know I, I was just always in awe and fascinated by the way that like you know rappers like like you know Andre 3000 you know Outkast like how how these folks sort of like wove these incredibly detailed and descriptive you know like worlds and and experiences in ways that that was like both like dope and and genius and relatable right so so for me like you know kendrick is someone who we're we're all like you know in our early 30s right and we all kind of grew up you know 10 minutes away from each other you know kind of like speaking the same language going through the same things and so for me like kendrick is like someone who i look up to so much like i think good kid mad city is one of the best albums of all time and i'm still mad that like it didn't win you know that like uh what's his name what's that cast name uh What's the white boy's name? Oh, um, Macklemore. Yeah, that that that, that like Macklemore <laughs> still won that. Like I'm, I'm still like, what? How did that happen, right? But but no, man. I, I feel like the album, like, that's literature. You know, like that is a novel. The way that that sort of like storyline begins and how it ends, like that to me is like, wow. Like yo, th- this is if you want to learn about narrative arc, right? And if you want to learn about like character development and about tension and conflict and about like pace and, and and tone listen to good kid mass city right mm-hmm. and, and so for me it's like that album consistently played in my ears and in my speakers like while i was writing this, this book and especially um sing about me i'm dying of thirst right like sing about me mm-hmm. is, is to me like one of the most like poignant songs and and poems i think i've, I've ever been introduced to i think like that song in particular was so resonant to this story, right? Like Kendrick in, in, in that song is specifically talking about like the dead, right? And he's talking about like how to sing about those who those who have passed. And he, and he talks about, you know, about being remembered and about what we all can do and, and what we are doing to remember, like not, not just those who have passed, but also those who, who are still with us today. So I think like for me, listening to that song over and over again really reminded me of like the stakes of the Compton Cowboy story. And like, you know, I like to think maybe I'm wrong that like, you know, this book is the book version of that album. Right. Because Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's no way around it. You know, I feel like the Compton Cowboys are essentially like such a good example of that. Like these are good kids in a mad city. Right. Like, it's like, you know, I don't think any of us are, you know, born hard, right? I don't think any of us are born into situations where like, we like, you know, want to bang or like we, we like want to do this and do that. I think the environment, 
the like situations at home that, that we are often born into really impact us. And I feel like at heart, we're all good kids, right? Who have maybe, you know, done something like, we're not bad people, we just sometimes make not the best choices, right? And I feel like the album kind of like, you know, was, 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 so, was so, like that was so essential to the album. And that's what made it so universal, right? Is that like everyone can kind of see themselves now. I mean, I feel like for this book, I, I feel the same way, you know, I feel like the Compton Cowboys are such a prime example of that. Like at the end of the day, they're good kids in a mass city. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you brought it up, you said, you know, it is like the book form of, of the album um, because it, it, you know, it shows those, you know, tribulations that they have to go through, you know, like, you know, dealing with an environment, you know, that is, you know, like, a, you know, sur surrounded by violence and addiction and, you know, but they're able to, you know, like keep, you know, keep that energy within them that they want to like, you know, push through. And it's, you know, it's it, that it's that coming of age story, you know, like Good Kid, Mad City and, you know, Compton Cowboys and the way you told it, like it, you know, like it clicked. It, it Like I, I definitely felt that like, Thank you. yeah, man. Um, and then uh, I also wanted to ask you about, uh, so you, you mentioned uh, one of the last chapters is 11th writer. So you refer to yourself as the 11th, 11th writer. Cowboy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The 11th cowboy. Um, so you, you talk about how, you know, you, you in graduate school, you studied, you, you were trained in ethnography. Um, there's something you, you, were, you were saying that there's something inherently different about the way that you would have to tell this, this particular story. Um, and, was that a, a challenge for you? Was how did how did you um, how did your approach or how did your how did you connect to the Cowboys? Like, how did your approach differ from your training as an ethnographer? Yeah, one hundred percent. That's a great question. You know, I think like for anyone in grad school, right? For anyone in like a master's or PhD program, there's always like a class called called methods, right? Which is like you know, it's like qualitative methods, ethnography. You like learn about the different ways. Which is even strange, right? Because I feel like essentially we're just like be, we're learning about what we kind of already know, right? Like how to ask people questions, you know, how to connect with people, like how to respect people, how to establish like rapport, which is like such a weird sort of thing, right? Because like, you know, if we're humans, like if we have a connection, we don't have to try to establish rapport. It, it's supposed to happen naturally, right? But like, you know, grad school, like I was at Stanford and, and I, was, I was at UCLA and I'm, I'm in class just like, you know, with all these white people, right, who, who are essentially, like, taking notes and, like, learning about how to establish rapport, I'm like, man, listen, man, like, you don't have to take notes, you just gotta ha be honest with people, show people respect, and listen, and ask people questions, right, and I think, like, oftentimes, grad school teaches you, you know, and also, like, journalism school, right, teaches you that you are the expert, right, that you are supposed to walk into a community, you know, you know, having a sort of, like, praxis, and ha having a sort of, like, theoretical framework in mind, you know, they train you to become the expert, right? But to me, I'm like, that is so wrong. It is so backwards, right? Like, how, how could I possibly be the expert in someone else's life? You know, there's no way. I can know some things, right? I can know maybe like some historical context, you know, know what's going on. But like, I never walk into any situation kind of thinking I'm the expert. It's, you know, what I tell people actually is like, I'm listen, I'm like, listen, like, you're the expert in your own story. Like nobody knows this story better than you. I'm just here to listen, right? I'm just here to hopefully convey what you're telling me and convey that in a way 
that is like, you know, true to your story and also maybe relatable to like, you know, a broad universal audience, right? Um, and so that's kind of what I do. And, and, and I feel like for a lot of folks, especially a lot of folks of color, right? Like it's like we are trained in like, you know, you know, anthropology, which has like such a murky and dark history, you know, like anthropology, like, and like early on, you know, in like the like 1900s were like, you know, parachuting into communities all around the world and like extracting information and knowledge. And I feel like so many of us now, like we're tired of that, you know, and we understand that like, we actually have a social capital that a lot of like white folks don't have, right? And like, because we are both participants in, in, in the stories, right? And observers and like, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm like a part of that, the Compton Cowboy story because I'm a member of the community and I feel like I was writing about myself. So I think that's the difference. Yeah, and that was really refreshing to read too because you know you you become friends with with the people and you know oftentimes like you say in anthropology it's supposed to you're supposed to have like some sort of distance right like the oh, way weird. you approach it yeah and um <laughs> but yeah that felt so real you know like the connection like you like you care about about these writers and you know and in turn you know they they care about you um that was just beautiful to read man and yeah, I appreciate that approach um cool so the I'll kind of want to talk about the the evolution of this story. You know, it went from an from an article to to a book, um, and now it's you know it's getting turned into a film. Uh, yeah. Prentice, Prentice Penny, the showrunner, yeah. executive producer of uh, Insecure, is writing the script uh, based on on the lives of the Compton Cowboys. So, can you talk a little bit about that journey? Like how, how like when did you realize that you wanted to turn this article into a book, and then yeah. Man, man, to be honest with you, I, I, it was never my, 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 my goal to be real with you. Like I was, you know, like at the New York Times and then like, I remember when the, the story published, it was like a Saturday morning and I was in Manhattan. I was staying, I was staying in like the New York Times corporate housing. And like, man, I remember when the story went live, like my, my, my email blew up, man. I, I was getting phone calls from numbers I didn't know, emails from like agents and like, TV execs, film, filming, studio execs, everybody was just hitting me up like, hey, who has the rights to this story? Hey, all this stuff, right? And I remember um, I got hit up by a lot, a lot of like book agents who were like, hey man, this is an incredible story. Have you ever thought about writing this to a book? I was like, no, like, I haven't. Like, I was just trying to be like a New York Times, right? Because I had just been there for like three months, you know, so, so I was still new to the New York Times. So like, you know, and, and at the times like, or anywhere really like, they don't really teach you about how, intellectual property works or, or how these stories can like, you know, be a book or a film or, or a TV series. They don't teach you about that. So um, in the span of like two weeks, I met with like 12, 12 to 14 different, you know, book agents. And I finally landed with one, this dude named Chad, who was like hella cool. And I signed with him and his agency. And within like a month and a half, um, a month and a half or so or maybe two months like we had a book deal and also simultaneously signed like like a tv uh, like a, a feature film deal with uh searchlight pictures to adapt the book into film so the film um is going to be adapted from the book you know and, and i think that it's, it's kind of cool because like the first screen in the film has to say based on the book by walter thompson hernandez so that's kind of cool you know but also like to be honest like this story is no longer mine. Like it was never mine to begin with, right? Like this story was never about me. And, and I feel like P 
people who have ideas about ownership to me it's, it's kind of strange right people who own stories like i don't own this story mm -hmm. i'm really grateful to turn into a book i'm really grateful that it's, it's going to be a feature film but like this story now because it's out there is for the world to to process and to understand it's no longer my own and I, and I feel really really happy about that right um but it's been crazy man like it's been really crazy to like it all happened so quickly i've learned so much i was like two and a half years ago like you know and i'm, I'm really happy that that all happened yeah, man, congrats. And I know that you, you write about Randy and the other Compton Cowboys, how they, that, that's one of their goals, right? To get, you know, more, uh, more media, mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. to have more representation. Um, and, and, you know, that's kind of one of the, the threads in the story too. Like historically, uh, American Cowboys were, were black. Like there was, you know, over a third of, of Cowboys were black and that's erased in um, in film and in you know in books and this is like one major contribution you know that that is kind of bringing that spotlight back um so i thought that, yeah that was super powerful and um how how has that impacted the the farm like are they like what what's like the update with the farm like were they able to to generate more funding that way and yeah yeah so so before the pandemic, like things were, were, were looking pretty good and positive, you know, like, you know, a lot more donations coming in, you know, um, what, what a lot of people don't know is like with this book, right? Like most of the proceeds go back to the Cowboys, which is like really rare for a book, wow. like, like more than half actually of the book proceeds, you know, like how we arranged this, this like collaboration was that like, you know, more than half of the proceeds go back to the Cowboys, you know, which is like really rare, right? Because like most times, like somebody who writes a book, like they get 100% of, of everything. But for me, it was like, you know what? This story was, this story was never about me. Um, and it was mostly about the Cowboys. So, you know, book sales have, have been helping the ranch. And, you know, but the pandemic kind of like suspended the youth program. So um, it, it the ranch is doing better, but it's not doing, you know, well. But um, it, it is doing a lot better. Awesome, man. So we're almost out of time. Uh, I don't want this interview to just abruptly end. So um, I, I haven't gotten the warning yet. Um, All right. <laughs> uh, but I just, I mean, you're working on a lot of stuff. Uh, you have an exhibit at La Plaza de Cultura y Artes on um, Afro-Latinidad. Um, so I wanted to kind of just, uh, you know, put that out there for people to, to look into. Is that still, uh, I know. It closed. Oh, it closed. Okay, okay. Because it was going to go through July, right? Month, yeah, but uh, I think it was only open for like a month, and, and I uh, co-curated that one. Mm. Okay, and then you you also have that you mentioned the podcast uh, California Love is an anthology series that's gonna. Uh, when is that debuting? That's that comes out July 9th, and like man, I, I'm so excited about that because like that's basically like you know an audio memoir about like my LA, about Southeast LA, about like my experiences in LA like kind of th told through like first person, but also reported. And it, it's so beautiful. I'm so excited about, about the show, um, you know, cause also like I've never worked with sound before. And, and this is the team I have is, is so talented. And I'm really excited about that. Like that's going to be really cool. So man. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for it too. And thank you. Cool. So I want to just end this. Um, I want to start, I want to kind of, I want to figure out like an ending, like, uh, like part of, uh, the podcast. Um, and so hopefully I could, you know, compile these different stories. Uh, uh, you know, we've been talking, we've been hearing a lot about monuments, you know, like monuments being, you know, taken down, 
yesterday they you know they took down the juniper serra and uh Olvera street <laughs> yeah. and, uh you know so like if you were to commemorate maybe a street or an intersection uh in la is there is there something that you want to kind of bring more attention to it could be a personal story or maybe historically in la that's under recognized is there something that you would highlight man in terms of intersections i feel like florence and pacific <laughs> you know Florence, and it's crazy because like the the tile art from my podcast is a photo of, of florence and pacific the actual intersection like right by galajito hell like, yeah so man. I, I, I feel like that I mean, the intersection to me is everything, man. Like, that is it's so symbolic of, like, growing up in, in Huntington Park, man. You know, so that intersection for sure. That's No, that's a great answer, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great answer, man. Yeah, Pacific and, and Florence. <laughs> yeah. Iconic. No, that is iconic, man. I think about, like, the World Cup, you know, like, shit right. gets <laughs> shut down, bro. Like, they bring, <laughs> they bring in tanks, bro. Like, to, like, they do bring in tanks. <laughs> like when when they could have like a festival or something, you know, like to like channel people's energies. Like it's, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be. It tight. doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. <laughs> Dope, man. Uh, well, yeah, hopefully we can stay in touch, man. I, I, I have, you know, so many more questions, but you know, we have, we don't have that much, much time left, but um, yeah. yeah, man. I'm also working on, on my next book, man. Yeah. You're right. It's uh, an autobiography, right? It's like a memoir. About a memoir. Life about this idea for me of, of what belonging means and about like homecoming and my mom and I and yeah I'm, I'm working on that it's gonna be really beautiful maybe we can have an event around that that'd be awesome man I would love that really cool cool man well uh yeah and enjoy the rest of your your day um yeah thank you for taking time I know you've been super busy you know you had that reddit interview you I think yeah. you were on CBS today morning. morning. Yeah, morning. <laughs> it's been yeah crazy. so it's been like a, a whole whirlwind for you. And yeah, thanks for taking the time. And uh, yeah, man, I'd love to stay in touch. And yeah, cool. I really appreciate. I really appreciate your perspective, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate you, man. Have a nice day. All right. You too. All right, bro. All right, peace, man. So ends another episode of Libro Schmibros, recorded at the bilingual nonprofit Libro Schmibros Lending Library in Boyle Heights. By all means, follow us online in all the old familiar places or email us via info at libroschmibros.org. By the way, we couldn't do this podcast without the whole Libros team, Quatemoc, Colleen, Diana, and Alberto. And all of them would kill me if I didn't add this. Please consider visiting libroschmibros.org, hitting the donut button, <laughs> the donate button, and giving us a gift. We put good free books into people's hands five days a week here at Libros, right across from Mariachi Plaza, up in the old Boyle Hotel. I'm David Kippen, and there'll always be a free book for you, and thousands more to borrow here at Libros Schmibros.